Double J, Jeff Jarrett, here to tell you a little bit about the nonstop savings happening over here at SaveWithConrad.com. Are high credit card balances holding you down on the card? If you're looking to give a guitar shot to your credit card debt or give your home the push it deserves with some upgrades and remodeling, you need to go to SaveWithConrad.com. That's right, SaveWithConrad.com. Conrad and his team are routinely helping my world listeners save five, six, seven, even $800 a month. Oh, did I mention you get to skip your next two house payments? Take a cue from The Last Outlaw, because if anybody knows how to get the bag, it's me. Strut on over to SaveWithConrad.com today and see how much money you can save for free. That's right. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Welcome to something to wrestle with. Brett's Pritchard. Who's Pritchard? Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. Fuck him. Thank you, Bruce. I love you. Double cheese burger. Double cheese. Double mayo. Double onion, motherfucker. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Available at all your fine uh, Walmart stores, or you can go to Shop Zone and get the brand new Brother Love Special Edition Elite Collection from Mattel. These just came out in nice little boxes. See that? I don't, I don't think it's called Shop Zone anymore. Whatever the fuck it's called, where you go on the damn website and you shop and you go get stuff from Fanatics. Oh, shop.wwe.com is what I thought it was. Okay. You don't got to get hot about it. Well, it's fanatics now anyway, right? It's just, I don't know. Bro. You don't uh, like that? Is this your, is this your first figure in how many years? How long has it been? Uh, 15. You had one in 08? I had one oh seven oh eight, Yeah. Something like oh. that. Okay. Yeah. About that. Well, I mean, it's not like you're going to change my, my outfits. To, no, no. Oh, hey, he wore this one time. He wore this white suit one time. He wore that white suit. He wore this ring on this other finger. One. I don't think that figure's out yet. It's not a WWE shop or a fanatic, but I do see well, where it will be soon. Yes. See where they're promoting it with uh target as well oh, as, well, as, as, as coming out. So yeah, good, good stuff target, coming. Man. The brother love yeah. figure. Hey, uh, before we get going, our topic today, by the way, is going to be Jacques Rougeau, one of the more controversial figures in uh, more modern WWE history. But before we talk, you know hey, before we, before we go to whatever you're going to go, I, I've turned my phone off because technically I'm on vacation right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. Well, it's, it's going over there. El Afo. I'm practicing my Spanish because I will be in El Mexico in uh 24 hour. Oh, I'll, how do I say 24 in Spanish? El hour. So he's from Harlingen, Texas. Uh, speaking of Texas, 
you uh, upset a friend of yours in Texas. As we're recording this on Saturday, the 17th, Dustin Rhodes took to Twitter yesterday on June 16th and wrote, I love Bruce Pritchard. I really do. We can agree to disagree about the Dustin Rhodes character. I am a tremendously talented storyteller. I am not everyone's cup of tea, of course, but it is unfair for him to say, quote, nobody gave a shit about Dustin End quote. I say you were wrong. The whole world loves Dustin Rhodes. Love you, Bruce. So, and I love you, Dustin. I really do. Just add I would suggest I would give this piece of advice because I truly do love Dustin Ronald. Great deal. Think the world of him, and I think he's an extraordinary, extraordinarily. I have not slept yet. An extraordinarily excellent performer. I would recommend before running off and thinking that I trashed you and that I said all these horrible things with no context or anything else, I would just implore you to listen to the show because I'm not going to sit here. And I said this, I said that. Um, we were speaking about specific things, and I gave specific examples. If those specific examples upset some people, I'm sorry you got upset. Don't listen to the show. Um. But if you are, you're going to quote me, then quote me in context and give me credit for the whole thing, not just one piece of it where uh, you want to stir shit and be an internet troll on Twitter. Um, again, that's why I don't engage in, on Twitter. I'm not going to engage in that kind of just engagement. Uh, no other way to say it. So um, to Dustin Rhodes. I say that uh, I love you to death, always have. Um, feel that I dissed you after you go back and listen to the show in its entirety. Um, man, give me a call. I'd be happy to, to talk to you about it and explain what I meant if it somehow came across in any other way. And again, I look at a guy who's had an ungodly career matched by very few, is extremely talented, and is an extremely just really, really good person. So I don't care. Doesn't upset me because I know what I said. What upsets me is the fact that somebody with a tweet or a comment got Dustin upset. That's what upset me. And, uh, again, Dustin's got my phone number. I'm around. I do love him. And I think the world of him. And I do think he is an extraordinary talent. Just to add further context to the discussion, I just want to remind everybody, Dustin was responding to, um, a conversation we had about 1997, where we just recently covered the King of the Ring 97. And it was during that summer in 97 where JR did the sit down interview with Dustin and Terry. It was the first time we saw the real life characters or the real life persons behind gold dust and Marlena. And I think to add context, Bruce, you were saying you had spent years developing and investing 
with the audience, with this gold dust character. So now to pivot to Dustin Rhodes, maybe it didn't have the same brand equity and maybe it wasn't the best use at the time of what you had done for the gold dust character. That's the way I took it, but I could well, see how that's because you actually what you listened to the show. Yes. You listened to what I said. Yes. There you go. Well, listen, I, I know we both think the world of us and I hate his feelings are hurt with you. I didn't take it that way. I thought we were talking about the presentation of the gold dust character. So let's, uh, let's jump into what we're talking about today. If we can't get a little more controversial accidentally, Jacques Rougeau is our subject. We're covering him because my man just recently celebrated a birthday. Jacques Rougeau jr. Born June 13th, 1960. He is the younger brother of Raymond Rougeau. And uh, the nephew of Johnny Rougeau, he's a third generation wrestler. How about that? I didn't realize that Jacques Rougeau was third generation, man. That's quite a legacy. I think of um, all the Rougeaus, I think that from what I understand, Johnny Rougeau, Jacques' father, if I'm remembering that correctly, like he was the patriarch baddest of the badasses of the Rougeau family. And then you go down to uh, Jacques and Ramon. It's like Ramon Rougeau. Uh, no, Ray. Ray Rougeau was kind of like. Well, not kind. I think Ray was probably one of the toughest guys in the business during the time that he was in the business act. True badass, true gentleman. Um, one of the classiest people I've ever met in my life and was a guy that nobody in the locker room uh, wanted to mess with. Nobody. And he didn't tell people about it. He didn't act like tough. He wasn't an asshole. He wasn't a bully. Just if things needed to be taken care of, he would take care of them. Did you ever meet uh, Jacques Rougeau Sr.? I know you're talking about Johnny, but did you meet yeah. Sr.? Yes, I have. Well, nice. That's... Again, you know, super nice guy. Uh, you know, he's one of those old timers. He's just uh, from that era. And tough guy, but uh, always, always super nice to me. And um, was was one of those you know Montreal's a weird place. Okay, here's where I'm gonna get in trouble. Fucking Montreal. Um you know Montreal's a weird place. How so? It's different. It's like it's not a part of anything. It's a Canadian province. They don't want to be a part of Canada. They want to break away and be their own country, Montreal, Quebec. And, you know, they hate Canadians. Canadians hate them. Uh, I think every, everybody pretty much hates them. But they think that, that everything must cater to them. We used to do television. So we did TV in English, we did TV in Spanish, we did TV in French, we did TV in I don't know how many other languages. But we brought French commentators to the tapings and they did things, but we also brought French Canadian talent 
to do commentary and to do special backstages, uh, Pat Patterson and the fruit bowl, uh, whatever the hell he had. Um, he did a Roddy Piper type segment interview segment on the show. It was different. You know, we featured the guys, the Dino Bravos, the Rougeaus, um, of the world that, ah, you got to understand Montreal must have a hero. And we had to cater everything. Now, what we produced times superstars and challenge were TV shows that went all over the world. And in going all over the world, they were shown the storylines, the same storylines that were shown in the United States were shown in Mexico, were shown in France, were shown in Spain, were shown in Germany and England and Canada. But one market in the whole world, not New York City, but Montreal, Quebec, had its own television show that was produced only for them. The only place you could see it was in Montreal. And then the shows, when you would have a live event, the, the shows would be booked with Montreal talent on top, not involved in any of the storylines. So you would, so for example, you may have Dino Bravo in a third match on the card everywhere else in the world. In Montreal, Dino was working with the champion. And usually petitioning to beat them. <laughs> Every Canadian or Montreal hero always, says, I got a great idea. How about I get the belt? Then I beat everybody. And then what? Find somebody else to beat. Jock is uh, going to wrestle his first match October 14th, 1977. And I guess a lot of folks didn't think that Jacques Jr. here was expected to be a wrestler like his brother Raymond because he was the smaller of the two, but he does bulk up, makes his debut as a pro wrestler here. Of course, he's working in Canada with uh, Stampede Wrestling for Stu Hart, and he would even work some territories as far, as far down south as Alabama and Tennessee in the early 80s, and of course, bounce over to uh, Montreal and do some work with uh, Dino and Andre the Giant. When do you first hear of Jacques Rougeau Jr.? Was it through the magazines and, and roughly when yeah. would that have been? Yeah, it was it was through the magazine, seeing pictures of Jacques and Raymond. And um, that was my first exposure to them. And the first time that I saw them live was on WWE TV. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. We, uh... We got to talk about Pat Patterson. I mean, if you're going to talk about wrestling in Montreal, I mean, you definitely got to talk about Pat Patterson. I assume it's Pat that helps bring the Rougeaus into the company. Would that be a fair assumption? I guess so. I, I, I really don't know. I wasn't there at the time. Um, there was, you know, maybe been George Scott may have been Patrick, but there was even before Pat was involved in the office i think there was this special treatment for montreal that they had kind of had their their own world that you had to cater to at great expense and i don't i I don't think anyone could ever convince me that the extra production and the extra expense to cater to that one market was worth the return that you got on the one shows that you were promoting. I'd find that hard to believe. We, uh, we should mention that Jacques makes his debut with the WWE in 1986. It all starts with a tour of Australia. His television debut is going to be filmed in Sydney for primetime wrestling and it airs on April 7th, 1986. It's a tag team win. Over the moon dogs, and they get plenty of time, 18 minutes and 12 seconds. But the Rougeaus start as all American baby faces from uh, Canada. French Canadian baby faces. Yeah. Do you like that gimmick? What gimmick? Which one? They're just the Rougeau brothers? The all American boys. Well, that didn't come till much later. I, I'm just saying the the white meat baby face version of the Rougeaus. Do you prefer them as baby faces or heels? No, no. First of all, Jacques is a heel. Yes. Jacques is a heel straight up. Uh, Raymond is. Can't stress it enough. One of the nicest guys in the world in a class act, but Raymond understood the psychology of being a heel and how to get heat. Jacques just. Did what Jacques does, and Jacques got heat. Yes, he did. WrestleMania three, of course, you're going to start right after the high water mark for WWE and just American wrestling at the time. Ninety three thousand folks in the Pontiac Silverdome, depending on who you believe. And we see that Rougeau brothers lose to Greg Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake, uh, but the match is really a backdrop. Valentine, Dino Bravo, and Johnny V leaving Beefcake alone after the match. You're starting with the company. Were you excited about what was possible with the Rougeaus? What'd you think of the tag team division, if you will, here in 1987? I, I like Demolition. I, I was sad to see the Rockers come and go as quickly as they did in the summer of 87. Um, there were some great tag teams there during the time. And I think the Rougeaus were definitely a part of that. August 10th, we see the Rougeau brothers defeat the Hart Foundation and they win the tag titles here. 1987, Jacques Rougeau is going to pin uh, Brett after using Jimmy Hart's megaphone behind the referee's back. 
and the title change was never mentioned on WWF TV and the belts were returned using the old dusty finish and footage of the title change was shown all over the Montreal TV stations. This is a, a fun way to tell a story and get some attention for a live event. what do you think of the, uh, the dusty finish, if you will? Well, I hate it. First of all, and it was only done for Montreal. It wasn't acknowledged anywhere else. So, you know, it was, it was like, okay, for Montreal, woohoo, they won the titles one night. Then you find out next week, oh, there was technicality. They didn't really win the titles. It's, to me, that's just a you know, cheap finish. We have enough cheap finishes that uh, we can draw from. <laughs> that's for sure. That maybe could have come up with a better one than that. But that was strictly for Montreal. The Hart Foundation are going to be uh, taking on the Ruggio brothers on an episode of Primetime Wrestling from Fresno, California. It's filmed on September 7th, 1987. What's interesting about this show that I want to bring up to you, Bruce, is not only are you getting to watch this tag match for the straps, but Mike McGurk is going to welcome you to the commentary booth for the first time. Did you like doing commentary in an alternate world? Could you have seen yourself? Going the JR route of things, doing a commentary gig instead? No. Okay. No, I, I was rotten. I was horrible. I sucked at commentary. I could not do play by play. Uh, it was play by play is so difficult to do. And again, you have to make the decision as to what kind of play by play guy are you going to be? Are you going to be the host that just tells stories? Or are you going to be the guy that calls collar and elbow lockup? Oh my, standing arm drag. Now let's go into oh look at that double quadruple spinning wrist lock. I you know Paul Bosch was one man show. Paul sat at the ring with a microphone like this, looking down at a monitor, and Paul just told you stories. Paul told you stories about the matches in the ring, what they meant, why they were important, and what the holds did and why they were important. Paul made every match into a story because he had to. You right. know, the, they would sit in holds forever back in the day, back in my day. And then, you know, the next you had, you had Gordon Soley in Atlanta on Superstation, that first one to really get some national exposure. And I, you know, I, and uh, Rick Flair with a soup play. Fuck's a soup play. Um, then you had Vince and Gorilla up in New York. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh my, what a maneuver. And from there, he's got, he's got, he's got a one, two, three, he's got a yes. Oh no. My God. Oh. You know, that never called the hole. Gorilla wouldn't. Gorilla would make shit up. But they told you stories. So since I was in WWE, I figured, okay, well, shit, that's the style I better I better learn. Um, I was never a big fan of, of JR's style like that, so it was difficult for me to do. I thought the one thing that JR, you know, is so great about is JR bringing the viewer in and feeling. You know, feeling, if you were sitting at home, you felt like you were right there in the arena. And 
Jim left you wanting more. And Jim, Jim made it feel exciting. Sometimes, you know, uh, even when it wasn't. Okay, so he would manufacture excitement. And I just, you know, I didn't think I could do that. I couldn't do the play-by-play, you know, stuff. Not my, not my bailiwick. Wasn't good at it. I, I don't think I was going to get good at it. And I just got put in there to do play-by-play with Mike McGurk and the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty. Horrible. Let's talk about May of 88. May 1st on Wrestling Challenge will be the first time that we see the Rougeaus referred to as the fabulous Rougeau brothers. A month later, on June 4th on Superstars, they're going to do an interview with Craig DeGeorge and say they're not like Dino Bravo. And to show their appreciation of the United States of America, they start waving the two small American flags. This is really. The way I discovered the Rougeos coming out, waving the little flags, the hilarious theme song. I loved it. What'd you think of this? All American boys, all American boys. Jimmy Hart wrote that and, and sang it. Fantastic. So that, that was one where Jimmy would sit there with his keyboard and said, Hey, what if we, you know, we did them there American now. We'll make them all American boys. And we sit there on the keyboard, all American boys or all American boys. Um, it was it was it was great because it added to their heat, and this is where, you know, kind of when you you take someone who had never been a heel before, and these words have rung true for so many people that in Vince explaining because they weren't they weren't grasping it, they weren't grasping being heels. They were like trying too hard. Vince explaining you don't have to change a thing. Be yourself, but just think dick. Be a dick. And everything you do, think about it. And uh, I think one of the comments was, you know, to Raymond, you know, just do what your brother does. And to Jacques, it was, you know, do what you do. Be you. And once they got that, I don't, I don't know that, Jacques was really in on the joke at that point that we wanted him to be an obnoxious, just turned up volume of himself. Um, but man, he played it well. So did Ray. Ray got it immediately. Well, they, uh, get a win on television in July of 98 or 88 rather by cheating. And then fast forward to September and they're going to appear on the brother love show with their new manager, Jimmy Hart to announce their new alliance, man, this is when the all American boys thing really becomes a thing. Uh, let's talk about Boston garden, October 10th, 1988. You're the special guest referee is brother love. When the uh, Hart foundation are going to defeat the Ruggio brothers and, uh, you managed to take a bump. Dave Hebner comes in, counts the pin. Did you enjoy being a, a special guest referee and character like this, Brother Love? As loved, a- loved it. You know, the interesting thing about the Boston Garden uh, shot was it was our first one, and it was Brett's first match in the WWE as a babyface. The Hart Foundation had recently turned and were babyfaces. And the way that I had the match laid out 
um, was basically, you know, everything was around me. And I would do the, the fast count for the heels and a slow count for the baby faces. And, and just, um, I would make, you know, Brett break on one and I would count really slow for the Rougeos to break and just a lot of conflict with the baby faces. Now, that picture right there is Jim Neidhart and I, and I am in Neidhart's face. And I'm just jawjacking with him. And Neidhart looks out of the corner of his eye and says, move. And I move in a uh, ice pit, stuck right in the mat. Hit my nose, but like just flinched my nose and then stuck right in the mat. Wow. But Jim saw that out of the corner of his eye. And it probably would have hit me right in the eye. But these, God, these were a blast. But I remember, you know, laying out the match and all this stuff, and Brett's sitting there, and Brett's getting his gear on, and Brett says, so let me get this straight. You're going to stop me and cut me off every time I try to start to make my comeback? And I'm like, well, yeah, until we get to the point when you guys just snap and fucking kill me. And he's like, yeah, well, you go ahead and try and stop me from making my comeback. And actually, Brett worked with me, but Brett, I had so much fun with those guys. It was it was so easy to do. And I took their finish every night, and they beat the hell out of me and dumped me, and we had fun every single night. It was great. Well, there is one moment in this era that's not so fun. It's the infamous Dynamite Kid slash Mr. Perfect slash Jacques Rougeau. I guess as the story goes, there was a, uh, a prank pulled by Mr. Perfect. He's foisting the blame on it to somebody else. Dynamite kids upset about it, slaps Jacques Rougeau. And eventually Jacques comes back and retaliates as the story goes with a roll full of quarters in his hand. And it's a mess. Uh, what do you remember of this? Were you there? Talk, talk us through this. I was on the phone at a, a payphone bank in the arena, just on the phone, and you're kind of like on the phone, back against the wall, and you're watching everybody come out of catering, what have you. And hindsight is twenty twenty. I recalled after the fact that. You know, it was, it was kind of weird that Jock and Raymond were just hanging out, kind of like looking into the catering area and then just kind of waiting around the other side of the wall. And then all of a sudden, uh, Dynamite came out of catering and Jock was like, hey, Dynamite. And Dynamite turned and Jock nailed him right in the mouth. There were, I don't know if they were quarters or nickels or what the hell they were. There were coins all over the floor. And it was just so surreal because it's not something you're expecting to see. You're on, you're on the phone, you're talking to whoever. And then all of a sudden it's like, you hear a little bit of shouting and you look over and one guy's bent over and just, it was like a, 
faucet coming out of blood, a blood coming out of Dynamite's mouth and nose. And Dynamite's just trying to get his hands up and block. And Jacques um, was just picking his shots, man. And Dynamite had no defense at that point. He had nothing. And Jacques, you know, beat him up pretty good. But uh, Raymond was there. Uh, Raymond was there to make sure no one got involved. And Ray was like, he wasn't, wasn't helping Jacques. He just was there to, you know, say, hey, man, this is this is their fight. Let them fight. Don't just leave them alone. And then Pat Patterson came out of catering and Pat got in between them and, um, you know, got them settled down and fight. And then they broke it up and got everybody separated. And I remember walking by and in the amount of blood. Oh. was scary because it was it was like a faucet. I don't know if you ever seen those things where somebody gets hit in the face or the nose and then all of a sudden the blood just starts pouring out. That's what it was like. And there were teeth on the ground and you know nickels or quarters or dimes or whatever the hell they were on the ground and a lot of so they got everybody separated and then uh, got everybody in one room with uh, Hogan, Vince. I think Pat was there and got it straightened out. Why was Hogan there? Just to be there to make sure. I mean, Hogan was top guy and he was making sure that nothing more was going to happen. The rumor is there was fear that there was going to be retaliation at the Survivor Series. As you may recall, this is one of those giant 20 man elimination matches. So it's got the Rougeau's and demolition and the brain busters and the Bolsheviks and the conquistadors. That's one side against the bulldogs, rockers, heart foundation, young stallions, and powers of pain. And the rumor and innuendo is people think there's such a chance of this getting ugly that the Rougeau's are pinned by Bret Hart early on. So they can get out of there. And then by the time the bulldogs are eliminated and they get to the back. The Rougeau's had already left the building. That's the story. Is that real? Is that the way that went down? You tell me Have you watched it. I haven't watched it in a while. No. Okay. Well, the Rougeau's and the Bulldogs actually worked in the match against one another. So all, all that had been squashed by then. <sighs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm sure that dynamite held bad feelings for Jacques Rougeau until the day that he passed. I think that, uh, most people felt that finally dynamite got what he deserved because of the way that dynamite ribbed and the way that dynamite treated people. Dynamite wasn't a nice guy. You know, he ribbed people unmercifully. He, he would rib in a mean way. And, a lot of folks felt, man, that he would, that Dynamite was a bully. And I don't know that Jacques was the most liked guy in the dressing room, but at the same time, people respected Jacques for standing up to the bully. Right. Saying enough is enough. So by the time we got to Survivor Series, I think that that was just people buzzing and going, you know, making up, making up gossip and making up situations that weren't necessarily 
True. So, um, I, I didn't sense anything, you know, were they buddy, buddy? You not at all, but they weren't adversarial backstage to the point that they couldn't work together and they did work together. And that was fine. And I think the bulldogs were gone right after that. That's right. The bulldogs did finish up. And, uh, as I understand it, Davey was or not Davey, but, uh, dynamite was hurting pretty bad in that era. And it was just a sad end for dynamite. Uh, let's talk about Saturday night's main event, November 26, 1988, Jimmy Hart's going to cut a promo announcing that the Rougeaus now live in the U S and they start speaking in Southern accents. This is, they, li- they lived in Huntsville, Alabama. I love that. That's great to hear. Yeah. All American boys. Yeah. They used to talk about this huge. I'll listen to you. Mountain that had this gigantic mansion and they would always see all these like Rolls Royces and Ferraris and Maseratis and, uh, just unbelievable. They said they had a couple of McLarens there and just hot and cold staff all the time, but all, you couldn't get close to it because of the gates. And all that, but everyone, I think the guy owned a mortgage company or something and did TV commercials and stuff. So that, that's where they wanted to live because they saw the success of this person. And I don't, don't know who they, who that was. How much politicking know. took place to get on a Hogan house show loop back then? Like we've all heard the, you know, well, the, not really. You just got what you got. You don't think that they would try to guys might try to angle feuds one way or another to make sure they were on one spot or obviously everybody wants to work with Hogan, but if you were Hogan's boy, were you guaranteed to sort of be on that loop? Would it behoove you to be buddy, buddy with the champ? No, not necessarily. I think I'm sure that, um, Terry probably had his friends on there. The guys he liked Sure, beefcake was probably on there. Maybe Brian Blair, but. For the most part, no, it was, you know, Pat and Vince doing the booking and just you land where you land. There's a feud that happens here during the summer between the Rougeau brothers and the Rockers. Uh, the Rockers are going to record their own theme song, which is quickly dropped. And uh, there's a big feud here that goes most of the summer. And they even do a lot of 60-minute Iron Man tag team matches. These had to be amazing matches. I mean, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty in that era. Did you see any of those? What did you think of those? Yeah, they were tremendous. Absolutely wonderful. And this was kind of the era of trying to create that tag team excitement within the division. And, you know, I go back and, and look at the way that we got Barry Darso and Nikolai Volkov over in Mid-South um, as big Russians. And the Rock and Roll Express came in. And because they were tag team experts, they were able to defeat the much larger Russians of Barry Darso and Nikolai Volkov. So the idea here was, was to, to do it with the Rockers, same type of thing, and have the Rockers go over much bigger tag teams, but then be able to get into program with, other teams more their size to get these exciting, crazy matches that we knew they could have. 
SummerSlam 89, we see Rick Martel be put with the Rougeau brothers to take on Tito Santana and the Rockers. And um, something awkward happened here. The Rougeau music actually plays before the match is over. So it sort of spoils the finish. Any heads roll for some sort of snafu like that? No, it's technical error. Survivor Series 89. Old, called old fashioned fuck up. There you go. Uh, Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, and the Rougeau brothers are going to defeat Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, and the Bushwhackers. Um, and then Royal Rumble 90 goes down with the Bushwhackers beating the Rougeaus. Uh, it's Raymond who takes the fall, and this is going to be the Rougeaus' last match here in the WWF as a tag team. It'll actually be Jacques' last appearance with you guys for 11 months. So as I understand it, Raymond, quote unquote, retires from the ring here. He comes to work in the office for the WWF. But what's Jacques do for 11 months? I have no idea what Jacques does for 11 months. Well, but, you know, the time the time had come, you know, Raymond had an opportunity to do the French-Canadian color commentary for the Montreal television show. And... Raymond came in and did that. And Jacques, you know, went away to learn a new hole. Then we came up with something for him. Iconic wrestler, Kevin Von Erich just announced his first public tour. The show titled stories from the top rope will feature Von Erich sharing insight into his career, personal triumphs and tragedies. Stories from the top rope will go on sale June 2nd at emporiumpresents.com. And will offer a very limited number of VIP tickets, which include a meet and greet and photo op. Von Eric, now 65, will be the subject of a major motion picture, Iron Claw, which stars Zach Efron and is slated for release later this year. See Kevin Von Eric live September 1st in Dallas, September 2nd in San Antonio, September 3rd in Corpus Christi, September 5th in Houston, September 6th in Shreveport, September 8th in Oklahoma City. September 9th in Amarillo and September 10th in Midland. Tickets on sale at EmporiumPresents.com. Yeah, we did. December 22nd, 1990 on Superstars. We get a vignette for the Mountie. I love this character. It's a little silly. It's a little over the top, but gosh, it was a lot of fun when I was a kid, man. This is his return. Jacques Rougeau's return to the World Wrestling Federation. Talk to me about the Mountie gimmick. Talk to me about these vignettes. God damn, man. The Mountie gimmick. Ooh, great gimmick. Absolutely great gimmick. But I will say that the Mounties take themselves very seriously. Very seriously. You cannot wear a Mountie outfit unless you are a Mountie. You, I don't think you're supposed to be able to disparage the Mounties in any way, shape, or form, no matter what, publicly. Um, And portraying a Mountie is kind of like very sacrilegious in Canada. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, man. But we did it. Right. (laughs) You know, we, we, we got as close as we could go. We didn't have any markings on the jackets or anything. They were the same colors. And uh, a jock, the, the Mountie, that was just his name. We never said he was a Royal Mounted Canadian police. 
the city's the bounty. Whose idea was that? And what did Jock think of it? I think the idea was Vince's. Um, and, you know, Jacques, God, man, Jacques took to like a duck to water. He loved it because it was, it was just so easy. You know, we, we did these vignettes. I, I did these vignettes. This is when John Filippelli started. And uh, we went to Canada to shoot the vignettes. And, and it was, it was crazy because I, I was trying to, let John, let John do this, man. You know, hey, come see what we do. And then when I started to take over, he didn't like that. Um, we would get into arguments because I was, a, I was a kid that, you know, I know better. He was a network executive that had done it for about twice as long as I had. Uh, I think he knew what the hell he was doing. Uh, but I knew how to get things done quickly and efficiently and in lower cost. And I remember at one point, Cliff looks at me and goes, I don't have Cecil B. DeMille here. Right. And I looked right at him and go, yeah, I know. Um, it just was, it was painful doing some of those vignettes. And then I got, you know, it was a little bit easier after that. But I enjoyed those vignettes. I enjoyed that character immensely of the night. Let's fast forward to uh, Superstars in 91. Mountie picks up a win over Reno Riggins. It's a double handed choke slam for the finish. It's fun at the time. And then afterwards, the Mountie's going to handcuff Reno Riggins' arms behind his back and pull out the shock stick. Man, one of my favorite elements of this character and this persona, the shock stick. Talk to me about that. Who was uh, an advocate for that? What was the uh, thinking behind it? This is fun. I think Hogan actually came up with the shock stick. You know, cattle prog. Yeah. And get people to, to move and stuff like that. So he couldn't carry a gun. And he was against violence. So made him this beautiful shock stick to shock his opponent. Simple. I, uh, I love the shock stick idea. Um, did you think adding in the sound afterwards in post was a little hokey or did you like that? Did that make it better for you? Sometimes it was, but sometimes it worked. And I think added to the drama. Yeah. I mean, I, I, even as a kid, I thought, okay, they're having fun with this. Um, I love the idea, but adding the sound effect after the fact made my day. Yep. Uh, so silly. How about the Mountie theme where the dude just starts with I'm the Mountie. I don't know why, but you're just hitting people another, over the head with another it. Jimmy Hart classic. Amazing. Uh, listen, there's a match that gets cut from the home video release. Royal rumble. 91 had the Mountie beat Coco beware in nine minutes and five seconds. So if you ordered the pay-per-view, you saw that. But if you got the Coliseum home video, you didn't see this match. Uh, who made calls like that? I mean, is that just based on we've got a? I probably made that one. Okay, just in an just effort to time. Fit. Yeah, there's so there's so much time on a videotape, right? And sometimes you got to make edits. 
if there was 10 minutes we needed to cut, you look on there and, hey, here's a 9-minute, 40-second match, whatever it was, we can cut that and make make the tape. There's a Superstars taping in Macon, Georgia, here in 1991, and they're, they're covering that Sonny Blaze uh, is going to be uh, the guy helping make this Mountie character look so strong here. But that's not what's interesting. In my research, I found that I guess the word was circulating at this taping that the brother love character is no more, that you're just going to focus on your front office duties. Talk to us about that. Were you excited to not have to be on the road or were you going to miss not being able to perform? I think, you know, I, I will always say that the most fun is being behind the scenes and being able to have a hand in all of the characters. And when you're behind the scenes and you're producing and you're creating, you're creating characters. And it's not just one character you have to worry about. You have to worry about all of them. So I've always enjoyed being behind the scenes. I've always enjoyed being able to create something and then watch it grow. Uh, But also there's something to be said for being a performer and actually getting to go out and do it and elicit the emotion from that audience and be able to piss people off and take them on a roller coaster ride. So, you know, I love them both. I was given a, a choice and I thought that uh, the right choice for me at the time was not to go on the road full time and for me to stay in the office doing what I was doing. Had I known I was going to be fired by making that choice, I might have made another choice. But maybe the writing was already on the wall and um, I was gone anyway. But I I don't know that. I made my choice. I lived with my choice. Let's talk about WrestleMania 7. The Mountie is going to pin Tito Santana in a minute and 19. Of course, the shock stick is involved. After WrestleMania, he's going to be working with Jim Powers a lot on the house shows. But then he starts a program with the big boss man, which I guess is a natural fit. You've got a baby face prison guard from Georgia and you've got a heel mounted police from Canada. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of that idea? The Mountie versus the big boss man. God, it's a natural, it's a natural Southern justice versus, you know, the, the great white North justice. And, you know, one rides a horse in the snow covered white cap mountains of Canada. And the other lives in a jail in Georgia. Disgusting. So it was, it was a clash of personalities. It was a clash of everything. I thought that the pairing was genius. I know by July, um, you're out of there, but that's when the, the shit hits the fan with the Royal Canadian mounted police and their issue with this character in the WWF. I can't believe this is a thing, but I guess in the month of July here in 1991, they make an agreement. The WWF does to say, we will no longer show the Mountie on Canadian television and nor will he appear at Canadian shows. This is quite a, uh, compromise, not something that we, we talk about a lot here. Did you ever talk to Vince about that? Well, the issue was that, look, we knew what the parameters were before we did anything with the Mountie. And we knew that 
couldn't wear the outfit, couldn't do a lot of things. But, uh, you know, we pushed that envelope. And then they got to the point where no more Mountie. We don't, we don't want any more Mountie. That causes a problem. You're an international global brand <laughs> that goes to Canada, and Canada was a huge market for us. So I guess they just put enough pressure on them where they had to say, okay, we won't do this. You missed uh, quite a bit of stuff with the Mountie during your uh, <clears throat> hiatus. Uh, one of those was the loser. I fired. Loser goes to jail match with the boss man and the Mountie. It goes down at Madison square garden, SummerSlam 1991. And then afterwards, I guess the next big thing that we would see happen with the Mountie is he beats Bret Hart at a house show to win the intercontinental title. This is right before the Royal rumble match. And the story at the time was Brett, while he was the intercontinental champion might've been negotiating to go to WCW. I think the story was the match happened, wink, wink, when Brett was very, very sick. And somehow the Mountie wins it. That sets up a pay per view show, Royal Rumble here, where Roddy Piper is going to win the Intercontinental title from the Mountie. So I guess the Mountie was our transitional champ. I know you weren't there, but I'm sure you've at least heard about this from somebody involved. What do you remember of this, uh, this moment in time? Yeah, what I remember is and this was from piper was that Jacques was finishing up and that he was not going to be with the company anymore i don't know if it was one of those things to just concentrate on montreal and get out of the business or if it was to go to wcw i i don't know the particulars but i do know you know from roddy roddy had told me Jacques was finishing up and that's really all I knew. Yeah, we do know that uh, the reports would be, of course, that's January, but by October, it was even in the Observer that uh, there was talk that the Mountie was going to be finishing up. Before that happens, though, he gets to work uh, a bunch of house shows challenging for the world title against Randy Savage. Of course, uh, Savage is a baby face here, and we need somebody hateable for him to beat up on the house shows. Who better than Jacques Rougeau? Very hateable. Uh, SummerSlam 92, uh, the build starts here with the Mountie shocking Sergeant Slaughter with a super shocker that sends him off in a stretcher. And of course, as you recall, around that same time, if you soak someone with a super soaker mm -hmm. and then you like shock them with the super shocker, that's they're super fucked up after that. Yeah. Super. Um, at this point, you know, when, when the rumors out that Jacques might be finishing up, I mean, he's probably been with the company at that point, seven years. I think he's only 32 at the time, but seven years on TV is a long time. Is it not? Yes. Yeah. That's a hell of a run. That makes the observer here. The WWF's top line roster continues to be in a continual state of flux. Flair's now going to be kept out of action until Survivor Series because of the ear injury. Undertaker's scheduled to start back at Survivor Series. Both Savage and Bossman have scheduled sabbaticals for after Survivor Series. Bossman's is due to nagging injuries. No word on how long Savage will be out. The Mountie also quit the promotion on Monday 
Although I've heard conflicting stories on whether he'll be fulfilling already scheduled bookings or not. Um, and it would make the observer a few weeks later, Mountie is supposed to be quitting to open up a golf center in Montreal. What do you remember about the rumor he was leaving? Because I think he does stay with the, uh, or his brother stays with the company and continues, but it looks like Jacques looking to do something else. And we know he's out for several months and then there's rumors. He's going to be back in the summer of 93. Why was it time for Jacques to uh, go away and learn a new hold here? What happened? Yeah, you know what? Uh, Jacques's an entrepreneur, and Jacques was always looking for something to better Jacques. So whether it was in the wrestling space or golf space or public speaking space, whatever it was, and Jacques was after Jacques. Nobody is ever going to accuse Jacques Rougeau of not being a hustler, not being out there working hard. So, you know, man, time just comes sometimes. There's not always a a reason as to, oh, they did this or they did that. Sometimes it's like, yeah, time to move on. Well, he's back in June, and there's uh, talk that he's going to be teaming with a guy from Puerto Rico who wrestled in Puerto Rico. It's Killer Carl Wallace. We know it's Pierre Ouellette. We know him as PCO these days, I reckon. And there's reports in October here that um what what did he work in puerto rico as killer carl wallace is what dave Meltzer suggests but uh (laughs) something that made me laugh here again now this is 1993 admittedly a down year for the wwf and in doing media in montreal rougeau says that he signed a two-year one million dollar contract Meltzer says Although those in wrestling who read those printed reports are howling with laughter at that figure. I mean, listen, I guess if you want to position yourself as a big deal, you got to get paid like a big deal. So don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. No, exactly. Uh, wrestling challenge. We have some tapings here in July and you're going to start a bushwhackers and Quebecers angle where the bushwhackers win, but they get jumped after the match. And this is really the beginning of sort of phasing the bushwhackers out. Um, the Quebecers theme song too, which is we're not the Mounties. Well, yeah, because the, uh, hilarious Mounties were so concerned with people confusing them as Mounties should put it in their song. Let everyone know we are not the Mounties. We're not brave or we're brave. We're strong, whatever. Great song. The uh, September 13th, Monday Night Raw has a really uh, hyped tag team match between the Steiners and the Quebecers. The Quebecers win the tag straps here. And unfortunately, it's the lowest rating in the history of Monday Night Raw. The ratings are down even on the syndicated stuff. And I guess maybe there's some blame going around here that folks just aren't with it. But at least locally in Quebec, man, there's a ton of mainstream attention here. It makes both of the Montreal newspapers in both uh, English and French and all the TV stations are running clips of the finish from Monday night raw. And they've even got a live interview. That's going to be aired nationally on radio there. I mean, you said it earlier, Montreal was kind of its own place here. No. Still is. 
Do you think that was a big moment in, in the early days of Monday Night Raw seeing a tag title switch? Yes, it, it was because uh, don't always have tag team championship matches or world heavyweight championship matches or women's heavyweight championship matches on TV. So, yeah, it was a very big deal. How do you think they got along with the uh, Steiners? What was their chemistry like? I think, fuck, I can't remember that there was not chemistry, so I think they were fine. I don't ever recall anything of these guys don't get along, nothing like that. What did you think of um, the the whole Johnny Polo pairing with the Quebecers? Did that make sense for you? Were you a fan of that? It did. Uh, yeah, I was a fan of it. Because I felt that they needed a mouthpiece for the rest of the world. Not necessarily in Montreal. Montreal, you know what? They were fine. But I thought that Johnny added a little heat to that act, and uh, I thought he was good. Let's um, let's talk about this match with the Steiners. It gets, in the, in the Wrestling Observer, three and a half stars. We've got the uh, hockey stick being used here with the new manager, Johnny Polo. He's going to be wearing a Montreal Canadiens hockey Jersey. Um, this feels a lot different than the tag presentation we had a few years prior. And I don't really know why, like the Steiners are maybe my all time favorite tag team, but I think you take a look at like the late eighties lineup of tag teams and it's off the charts. I don't know that it's really that way here in 93. Do you think the company had changed their interest in the tag team division or did we just not have the right cast of characters or am I just off base? And it was, it was awesome. And I'm stupid. You're stupid. Yeah. That's what I thought you'd say. Okay. Survivor series build begins with the all Americans, which is Tatanka and Luger and the Steiners taking on the fantastic foreigners, which is Yokozuna, Borga and the Quebecers. I don't know why, but that's fun. God, what a cruise. Dude, Holy cow. Isn't that crazy? Woo. Uh, that match goes. That's uh, a period, you know, that's a period in time right there. It is, man. Time. And you it said, -ish. you said uh, that I was stupid, but now you agree with me. No, you're stupid. Yeah. 27 minutes, 59 seconds. Uh, this is the pay-per-view main event, too. Throw that graphic back up there, Silva. I mean. It's no wonder the business was down. I mean, that is the main event. Lex Luger, the Steiners, and the Undertaker. All American Lex Luger. Yeah. Uh, and against Ludwig Borga, Yokozuna, Jocker Joe, and Crush. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Steiners here. They're going to be uh, suspended. I, I guess initially Rick was the one who was suspended, not Scott, as report was reported in the Observer. What was the deal? With the Steiner suspension, I have no idea. I okay. don't recall at all. I don't know. Here's what I know: you always recall how to get that ding dong real hard. What do you do, Dude, Bruce? No, no. Please. There's a little thing: blue chew. Bam! Simple. That's all you got to do. Go to bluechew.com, and you're going to get the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but a chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Take these dudes anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is so simple. You'll sign up at bluechew.com. 
They'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. Here's the best part. It's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Let's use tablets are made in the USA. They prepare and ship directly to your door, all in a discreet package. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. We got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free. When you use our promo code WRESTLE at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code WRESTLE will receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast and Bruce's Wiener. Uh, let's talk about, uh, Jacques Rougeau, man. He, uh, he's promised the local folks here in Quebec that they're going to win the belts and man, they draw 13,800 fans paying $114,000 and they are over like Rover. The Quebecers get a hero's welcome. Meltzer would say they nearly blew the roof off the building when they came out. And the Steiners are unanimously 100% booed across the board, which surprised everyone because, you know, I understand they're from here, but on television, they're bad guys. Dude, different world. Yeah. I mean, why do you, why do you think, I mean, is it just, uh, I'm not trying to discount Jacques Rougeau. I'm just wondering. Why did Montreal view him differently? Or was it more just a sense of pride and patriotism that he was from Quebec? Because he was one of them. Yeah. And again, you know, I, I think that we have a tendency to come across like we're knocking Montreal. No. Man, I wish, <laughs> I wish there were portions of our country that were as enthusiastic and supportive as Montreal is for taking care of its own. You know? We laugh about it. But that's pretty good. Great. You know, that's that's a great feeling to have people going, you know what? I don't know you, but you're from here. So your family, we're going to take care of you. We're going to root you off. And that's what, that's what they did. It is amazing when you think about these guys, though. I mean, in that time period, selling 13,000 tickets. Well, anytime you can sell 13,000 tickets, it's a big deal. But here for the company in 93, man, that's just huge. So shout out to them for being able to do that. Uh, one, two, three kid and Marty Jannetty are going to win the tag titles from the Quebecers on January 10th. Uh, that's a Monday night raw in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, they go 18 minutes and 18 seconds. It's really a great showcase for the one, two, three kid. And, uh, Meltzer would say, expect it to be a short title range. And then they start plugging. It'll be the Quebecers versus the Hart brothers going down at the Royal rumble. Um, Marty and, uh, the one, two, three kid have a one week, one week reign, of course, drop those tag belts back to the Quebecers. Meltzer would say WWF attempted a risky live voiceover from the studios of the first part of Monday night raw with two onsite phone calls from Stan lane, who reported live during the show about the title change. Unfortunately, it didn't go smoothly as the sound mixing was a mess causing almost inaudible commentary for the first half of the show. Tag match described as equally as good as the previous week went 21, 24 ending with kid on the top rope. When Johnny Polo shook the ring rope, he had crotched himself, falls into the ring. And he's pinned after a double team move. What do you remember about this 
experiment we're trying live commentary we did it all the time it wasn't really an experiment it was a way to look at you know we could tape things and then we could voice it over later on and we would do the voiceover live live so you could be current you could be topical and you could speak about things that had happened just five minutes ago in the real world to give the feeling that you are live live the best match of royal rumble 94 to me is uh brett and owen against the quebecers it's a great match it's a great story it's a great angle of course uh what we're mostly remembering it for is the referee stopping the match because brett couldn't continue after the match, Owen's going to yell at Brett and finally kick him in his bad knee. Brett winds up doing a stretcher job. Owen is doing a backstage interview on the broadcast wall as they're carrying Brett out. And he calls Brett shellfish. Elser would say Owen is going to need a good manager to get over as a heel against anyone. But yeah, Brett. that's a good, good, good call. Melson, cause he's really good at predicting great talent and saying what talent needs. He's an expert, man. What an angle this was. I absolutely love this. Uh, and, and I, I forgive Owen for saying shellfish instead of selfish because no, he said, Brett, Brett is kind of like a shrimp. Well, and he kicked his leg out from under his leg. I mean, it's what he an all time promo yeah. from Owen. Yeah. Great. It, Still in, remember it in WWF history. Is that one of your more favorite angles though? Uh, by all means. Yes. Yeah. Because it was real. Yes. Because you could feel it and it had emotion and it was something that, you know, most families, you know, most have siblings. And I think siblings can feel that rivalry and that, uh, that sibling, just sibling rivalry, man. You don't, you don't love your brothers and sisters. You love them, but you fight. WrestleMania 10 looks like the Quebecers taking on men on a mission, men on a mission, get the win by count out. So the Quebecers retain, uh, the head shrinkers are going to win the tag titles off of the Quebecers on April 26th in Burlington, uh, Vermont. We got Lou Albano and Alpha both managing the head shrinkers here. And, uh, I guess this is their first match as baby faces story really revolves around the Quebecers doing some miscues and hitting each other. Eventually though, uh, the head shrinkers are the tag top tag champs and, um, Meltzer would write, don't know Jacques departure date. The rumor is he's planning on opening a gym in Montreal, man. You were right. This dude's a serial entrepreneur. He comes in for a bit, starts a new business. He's out of there again. Yep. Goes in, starts a new business and it does whatever it does. Then he's back to wrestling again. Um, we get a big house show, the biggest house show of the summer on June 25th in the Montreal forum. And Jacques Rougeau has been the, the leading drawing card in the city, according to Dave Meltzer for some time. And it's because the original Rougeau brothers were on top here in the sixties and seventies. And supposedly this show here on June 25th is going to finish him up here with his WWF commitments. Um, so it's a title match. And, um, it's a big deal, you know, um, I guess the last hottest or, or biggest crowd they had here was the Rougeos and the Garvins and that did 21,000 fans. So on his way out here, what'd you think? 
one last, uh, one last big moment on top, big old crowd over 20,000 fans. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one night, one, one place in Montreal. So good, you know, yes, great house, great show. But again, it was, um, counterproductive to everything else we were doing. Of course, it's uh, all with the head shrinkers here. And then after the match, Pierre is going to attack Rougeau. Rougeau is going to do a stretcher job. And it's written in the observer that he is going to be leaving and going to open up a gym, but it's expected that when they come back next October, it'll be Pierre versus Jacques and he'll come back for that one. Um, there's a major press conference on August 9th to announce that it's going to be the biggest house show of North America in 1994. It's that show we're talking about October 21st, 1994 going to be the retirement card for Jacques Rougeau. He's going to face his former tag team partner, Pierre, who for this event only we managed by Johnny Polo. I, br I bring that up because Polo had been cut by Titan, but still worked in the uh, front office, but the character was done. And, uh, yeah. How about this man? A big press conference, a retirement match, and he's coming back their own country man you're right it's their own country and and it was run like it was an entire country with you know uh many states and it just was yeah it was booked separately this press conference is pretty big time too you got vince mcmahon here pat patterson jack tunney billy red lions killer kowalski jacques Rougeau senior butch morgan uh who's a referee of raymond's uh first professional opponent. I mean, this is, um, it's a big deal. And it makes the observer that Eduardo Carpentier. Edouard Carpentier was the biggest drawing card in Montreal wrestling history. He was invited to the press conference, but declined. I guess there was some old lawsuit. Do you know what the bad blood was about? No, but I don't think that they, uh, you look, I don't know, man. That's the other thing about French Canadians. They'll hold the grudge forever too. But like Edward, Eduardo worked with Raymond and commentary. And I just, I don't know what the issue was. Let's talk about, uh, the retirement show here. 18,500 fans paying $240,000. This happens at the Montreal forum. It's pretty crazy to think. I mean, this is going to be one of the biggest shows of 1994. Um, Meltzer would say the building was set up differently from 10 years ago as the show sold out one hour in advance and they turned away more than a thousand folks. It would have been the second largest crowd of the year to see pro wrestling in North America and probably the largest paid SummerSlam had more in the building, but the paid attendance may have been lower. It's pretty amazing that. I mean, Jock's been gone doing the gym stuff. They do a press conference. He's right back. And man, the fans are there to support him. But as you might've imagined, all good things come to an end. There's a major falling out here reported in the observer in December of 94 quote, Jacques Rougeau and Vince McMahon had a major falling out that received some press in Montreal last week. As mentioned here last week, Rougeau was trying to put on a show on January 29th, the same day as the Super Bowl, at a 60,000 seat Olympic stadium. Originally, Ed Cohen, who handles the booking for Titan, had, at the request of Rougeau, talked with stadium management, but Titan balked when they wanted $280,000 for rent and setup fees. 
Rougeau then negotiated the price down to 154. And just as he was ready to ink the deal, McMahon told him he didn't think the time was right and that the company or the city was not hot enough for such an undertaking. In addition, as it would come to pass, the match Rougeau wanted to headline with was Backlund defending against Pierre, but it couldn't take place by that time he wasn't aware of. There was a story in the La Journal, which portrayed Rougeau, who was going to donate a dollar from every ticket to a local children's hospital, as being denied by McMahon the chance to raise $60,000 for kids' charity. Boy, this is ugly. And we're going to the paper to point fingers. I can see how this was uh, not something Vince was happy about. Yeah, and to correct you, we didn't go to the papers. That was something that shocked him. Yes. Things didn't go his way. Right. Then it was always go to the, go to the papers. And again, as stated, the theme of this is that Montreal deals with things completely differently. So it was one of their own wanted to do something, and the big bad evil promoter wouldn't let him do it. That's not the case. It was not. It was not a good deal. It just wasn't a good deal. Uh, there wasn't enough money to be made there, and not worth the hassle. So that was the reason that we passed on it. But sometimes people just don't like to hear that. So when it doesn't work out with you guys, he calls WCW. He calls Jimmy Hart specifically and says, Hey, let's bring WCW here and let me wrestle Hogan or Pierre wrestle Savage or something like that. And, uh, even though WCW doesn't have strong television in the area, they're at least talking about it enough that Vince sends a letter to WCW to say, as a reminder, Jock is under contract, but this deal doesn't get put together. Is this something Carl DeMarco would have been involved with in this era? Do you think? God, I, I have no idea, but I do remember Jacques thinking that he could be a promoter and bring in WCW and because Montreal was different. I think he thought that his contract didn't, didn't carry over into Montreal. I don't know, but it was, you know, Jacques saying, okay, well, I'll just do a WCW. I will wrestle their champion. And I don't know how interested they were. I think that they were more interested in it because it upset the apple cart at WWE. Right. Um, but didn't get really beyond that. We, uh, we should talk about the papers. They're going to report that there's a bit of a, uh, an impasse with the family. If you will, Raymond is going to come out and say that he and his brother owe everything they are to Vince McMahon and he finds it deplorable what Jacques has been saying in the media. He says that Jacques' behavior shows he lacks maturity and calls him a big baby. Says Jacques has no right to be mad about the WWF not doing a stadium show because it was too big of a risk. And then pointed out that Jacques has no experience as a promoter. And the story also comes out that Jacques senior had come out against Jacques junior and actually wrote a letter telling him so. And as it all turned out, McMahon names Raymond Rougeau, the new local promoter in Montreal. Man, what is it with uh, Vince causing some, I don't know, dissent in Canadian families? My goodness. So Vince went to the paper, started calling names. And started I don't know. Doing Not at it all. It was Vince's family that came out and denounced him. It was 
I mean, my point yeah, is, there's, the point is, is that people felt from his own family, from Jacques' own family, yes, that Jacques was making much ado about nothing. And that Jacques, his own family, felt that he was not an experienced or good promoter. That his own family felt that Jacques reacted in an immature way. So, you know, that's nobody else. That's not Vince saying it. That's nobody else saying it. That's, that's his family saying that. They would know better than anybody, I guess. Sure. So it's not, not Vince. Go talk to her family. Go talk to Jacques. They're the ones that were having the, the dispute. Let's uh let's talk about Raymond's first uh attempt at being a promoter. It happens on February 3rd at the Montreal Forum. There's 12,113 fans. It's a loaded show, a 10-match card, so there is no B-show. The show has a strong advance, but it didn't indicate that you were going to get this sort of crowd. So there's a lot of walk-up. And I'm curious, do you remember there being, I don't know, were people happy with the job Raymond did on this? Did they view it as, well, it wasn't as many as last time. Maybe we didn't have the right card. Maybe it's cyclical. Talk to me about Raymond as a first-time promoter here. So what would Raymond draw a couple hundred less than the time before that? I think it was 18,000 to 12,000. Okay. Well, I think that Raymond did an excellent job. Yeah. And you also have to understand that when you have someone who is the promoter, they're not the ones making the decisions most of the time in that regard. Raymond didn't have a, an interest in the business. Jacques did not have an interest in the business, a percentage or anything like that. They were employees of the company that would handle those towns. So when you say a promoter, it was the WWE that was promoter of all those events, every single one of them. Jacques may have done more PR for certain ones. Raymond may have done more PR for certain ones, but it has nothing to do really with all. Oh, well, Raymond was a bad promoter because he drew less. No, it was maybe not as attractive of an event. A lot of different reasons. Maybe that new gas station opened up down the street on Quebecois uh, street. Let's talk about what they did here. Story-wise, the undertaker has a knee injury. So they're going to slide uh PCO in here as his opponent, uh, his opponent being Shawn Michaels. It was supposed to be Shawn Michaels and the undertaker. Uh, but now since the undertaker's out, even though he hadn't been on TV, we're going to bring Carl Willette back for this. Uh, Sean's going to get the win. Of course he cheats, has his feet on the ropes and all that. Afterwards, they're going to start to do a beat down on him here. The idea being that. Hey, he might be leaving and going to WCW. And even if he stays and he succeeds in this new gimmick, he's not really going to be representing his Montreal heritage as this pirate character. So as he's taking the beat down, we bring out Rick Martel to make the save. He's going to tear off his suit. And I guess since he's Montreal native, we'll just say, Hey, he's our new baby face. You're, you're looking for somebody to replace Jacques here. And uh, I guess Rick Martel's as good as anybody, huh? 
you know, we weren't looking for somebody to replace Jacques. I think that, you know, you're looking for a local hero. Yes. Uh, Jacques had a few, had a few good dates there. Sure. He did. Can't take that away from him. And he did an awful lot of work to make that happen. So you're trying to recreate and look at uh, another French Canadian that can fit that role and a traditional baby face and Rick Martel fit that bill. Exactly. In 95, it gets even weirder. Meltzer would write that besides New York, Montreal is the number one town for the WWF. So number two overall, and now there's like a promotional war here. As crazy as it sounds, the company names Joanne Rougeau as its promoter. Joanne is the sister of Jacques Jr. and Raymond, and she's going to be promoting her first show on May 19th with the WWF. Meanwhile, Jacques Jr., her own brother, is scheduled to hold a press conference just a few days before announcing the formation of Jacques Rougeau Promotions, which is going to open on July 14th at the nearby auditorium. And I guess uh, it's written in the Observer. Jacques had been trying to affiliate himself with WCW to no avail. You remember hearing about Jacques Rougeau promotions and his own sister becoming the promoter for the WWF in this market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just the the family was split. The family was not getting along and that is what it was in that regard. And I think Joanne actually had some experience in PR and media relations and promoting. So she wanted to do it. And I think Raymond's, didn't necessarily want to work on that much. Raymond wanted to go and fly his plane and go fishing and go get, just go disappear out in the woods, go camping. That's what Raymond loved to do. Then he would come in and do his commentary, but I think promoting may not have been something that uh, Ray really wanted to do. Let's talk about what's next here. Early 96, uh, Jacques and Pierre both signed with WCW, but it makes the observer that they're for, they're in for two years at 150 grand a piece per year. And Jacques is going to get 25% of all pay-per-view revenue in the province of Quebec. And he's the local promoter for WCW in Montreal. WCW is trying to beat the WWF into the new 24,000 seat Molson center this summer. That's expected that the Quebecers probably under another name win the tag titles at that first Montreal show. And, uh, yeah, this is a pretty big deal here to see a talent get a, get such a deal. And of course we don't know if that's exactly what the terms were, but clearly somebody was telling Dave something. How uncommon was that in 96 to have a deal like that with a talent? I think, you know, I don't know what their deals were, but at the time, you know, Bischoff was handing out guaranteed contracts. So it really wasn't out of the norm. And when you look at that, you know, $150,000, the issue with the pay-per-view in Canada is an increase is an increase. And it's kind of found money at that point. For WCW. So sure, I'll give him 25% of that. It's it's nothing now. If he can accre- increase it and actually get us something, give him 25% of that. Why not? That's not a bad deal. It's a great deal for Jacques. Really, he has all upside. He has no downside. Um, so, you know, 
Look, that's doing business in Montreal. So this show should have been about just Montreal in general. Holy cow. It's pretty uh, interesting because uh, he gets one more big moment in the sun. Jacques Rougeau is going to beat Hulk Hogan at the April 11th, 1997 WCW show. They do 9,000 fans, $209,000 Canadian. Kevin Steen has even told the story that he's heard that Hogan did the job for an extra $10,000. And, uh, later that summer, there's a report in the observer that Jacques and Raymond Rougeau, who haven't spoken in over two years are starting to mend fences. They got together and they're talking. And of course, Dave is freestyling. Maybe it's because he doesn't think WCW will renew the contract. And he knows that the WWF is planning to run the survivor series in 1997 in Montreal. Do you think, I mean, I know we've always heard it and it's almost become like a joke. Vince always does what's best for business, but do you think Vince ever really soured enough on Jock? Think that, okay, that's it. Now he won't be back for real. I don't know that Vince ever sours on anyone that much. So, you know, you never say never in this business. Jock doesn't wind up coming back in time to do anything on that survivor series show in 97, but. He does sign in January of 1998. Uh, and, uh, Meltzer would say, considering everything that's gone down, it's amazing that Jacques is back, but with wrestling, well, maybe nothing is off limits. Uh, the Quebecers come back with a different look, more like their French Canadian run in WCW. Were you looking for something different? I mean, what'd you think of this version of this team? It was what it was. I. I didn't really have have thoughts on it. It was, you know, it just was what it was. And more than anything, it was looking at Carl Willette and what can we do with Carl? And this point in time, I think Jacques was looking at anything to prolong his career. He's 38, I think, here. I mean, he's been on TV for freaking ever, it feels like. Uh, and he's going to be working a lot with Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie even works with the Godwins at no way out. Meltzer was really, really critical of that one. Um, and I guess his last match with the company is a house show on May 10th, where he's going to put over Vader. What, um, why didn't this work? I mean, they're back in January and they're done by May. I think he had seen every variation of it that you wanted to see. Did you really want to see more of it? it? To me, I just think that the act had run its course. Right. Well, he, uh, he spends one month in WCW as part of team Canada with Lance storm. Then he retires again, tries to uh, join the police department. The rumor is that didn't work out because he didn't finish high school and he becomes a public speaker. And I think he's still talking to kids about bullying and not smoking and doing drugs. And he becomes a trainer. I think a lot of people know the, the stories of him and Kevin Steen or Kevin Owens, rather. Uh, what do you think the legacy of Jacques Rougeau will be? He's not a Mountie. You know, I look at it, man, and a guy like Jacques, I think Jacques had a hell of a career. Um, and probably in spite of what some people think, he busted his ass. He made things happen. Wasn't always the most well-liked guy. Wasn't the most popular guy. But 
created enough noise and fought hard for what he wanted. And you got to respect that. You, you've got to look at that and go, all right, man, he saw something that other people didn't see and he went for it. So kudos to him. And he's going to be a guy that always took risks. You think he'll be in the hall of fame one day, one day. Uh, big mouth, big belly says, did you and Vince pick the Moundy gimmick out of a box specifically for Jacques? Uh, I guess I asked differently. Do you think that gimmick could have worked with anybody else or did it have to be Jacques? I think it could have worked with someone else, but I think Jacques was the perfect guy for it. Um, I mean, you know, after that Jacques to find it, the Mountie at a pace. Sober wrestling says, was the Quebecers 98 return a reaction to losing your top Canadian star in Brett? The Quebecers seemed so out of place in the 98 WWF. No, that was in no way any reaction to Brett leaving at all. Uh, Brian wants to know, had anyone else apart from Foley nailed three gimmicks and had three kick-ass theme songs? He does have some of the best music when you mm. think about it. Um, wow. I mean, Hogan. I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty. Uh, Dave wants to know who was easier to work with Raymond or Jacques. Oh, hands down. Raymond. Clovian wants to know during the infamous scuffle perpetuated from a rib, allegedly entailing dynamite kid messing with the Rougeau's clothing and ended with Rougeau punching him. It was later determined that Kurt Henning was the actual culprit. Did Rougeau or Dynamite ever confront Henning afterwards? I think that uh, Henning kind of came clean to everybody. But I think that there were discussions amongst everybody. So it was it was addressed. I don't know that, you know, obviously nothing physical came out of it, but it was addressed. Eric Lewis says when repackaging some characters, like turning them from a fabulous Rougeau to a Canadian police officer, the WBF would ignore their history. I could understand if he was masked and it wasn't obvious, but was the audience not expected to notice who the Mountie used to be? We like to move forward. Right. And if you create a new character and you have a fun new character, then you talk about that new character. What does it get you to go back in time and tell me history about Jacques Rougeau when I'm watching the Mountie? Right. What does, it, what does that do for you? It's like, okay, those that know, know. Those that don't know, you confuse. Move on. Move forward. Look forward versus looking back. People reinvent themselves every day. Pascal says, so happy you're doing this episode. Rougeau said he just wanted one clean win for the Quebecers and not getting it was what threw him over the edge. What say you? He also says Vince won't address him anymore. What was the last straw for Vince? Do you know, are they crossed now? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea. I think a lot of that comes from like the question we got from them graphics. He wants to know. Why have we never seen the Mountie make a one-off appearance on raw or in the rumble? Does he have heat? I don't think so. It's, you know, it's never come up. You know, everybody that thinks they have heat or people say, oh, they have heat have, have no idea. Right. They just make things up because either two sides don't get together for whatever, whatever, whether it was a number, um, 
whatever it was. It's just, it's business, folks. This is a business. So when you talk about, oh, well, you know, they should have put a title on that guy or they shouldn't have beaten that guy. And okay, play it out. Do it your way and tell me how it works out. Tell me what you do next. And, and it's all subjective. Right. Creative is completely subjective. Um, so it's not as easy as, oh, you just do this. Tell you what, go get grandma's money, get every penny she has and invested, start a promotion, get a crew of guys and book them, get get a television show on the air, and tell me how you do. Show me some ideas that you got. Because it's real easy to sit back when you don't have any skin in the game and you have no idea what you're dealing with. Does just say, oh, I should have done this. Okay. Then what? Very few can answer then what. Right. Well, let's say a little high note. Jeff Connolly wants to know, Bruce, can you sing my all-time favorite entrance theme, All-American Boys? We're All-American Boys. I, you know, I, I, it was just so great. We're All-American Boys. All-American. Yeah, it was good shit man I'm just I'll try and learn it between now and then next week I I like that I did too I thought it was great Montreal to Memphis. It's good stuff, man. Really, one of the best things of all time. Yeah. Next week, Bruce, we're going to be talking about Vengeance 2006. DX is in the main event against the Spirit Squad. John Cena and Sabu are going to face off in an Extreme Rules Lumberjack match. Kane is going to take on Imposter Kane. RVD will defend the WWE title against Edge, and Mick Foley and Ric Flair square off in a two out of three falls match. That's all happening next week here on something to wrestle vengeance 2006. By the way, I want to give a plug for a new show. We debuted over at adfreeshows.com. It's called the false finish. I recently sat down with Chris Harris to have him respond to some of Bruce's comments here on the show. And we got a lot more than we expected. We talked about his entire career and, uh, how he had some ups, some downs and how he's pulled the nose up. It's a really special show. I think you'll like it. It's all available now at adfreeshows.com. In fact, you get all these shows early and ad free at adfreeshows.com. By the way, if your business targets men that are 25 to 54 years old, buddy, there's no better place to advertise than right here. Advertise with Bruce.com can make it happen for you. You can interact with the show at Pritchard show on Twitter and Instagram or something to wrestle over on Facebook and the easiest, cheapest, best way to support the show is to like subscribe and turn on your notifications for something to wrestle.com. That's the something to wrestle YouTube channel at something to wrestle.com. All the merch that we've got is over at something wrestle including some, some new fun brother, love inspired stuff, something to wrestle shirts.com. Bruce, did we miss anything on Jacques Rougeau? Any last words on Mr. Jacques Rougeau? 
No, I, you know, look, I think Jacques always entertained me. I think he was a, a hell of a talent and entrepreneur. People knock him. Uh, is he the most popular guy? No, but uh, he's a hard worker and he's always, uh, always done well for himself. So, congratulations. And congratulations to you, Bruce. I've really enjoyed uh, what you guys have been doing on WWE programming. I can't believe it's here, but uh, we're right around the corner. Uh, from the big money in the bank match. And of course you can catch uh, Monday night raw and SmackDown every week, but you're going to be catching a plane to Mexico. What part of the world are you going to? Um, Mexico. I got that, but where, I mean, are you just going to do a countrywide tour or no, 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 no. I'll be about 60 to 90 miles South of Cancun on a beach. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I I got to tell you about something uh, off air. That's pretty fun in Cancun, uh, but I'm looking forward to next week, man. Vengeance 2006 coming your way right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Adios. Hey guys need to call a quick time out here. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my listeners over at OU didn't know for a while now about all the cool things happening over at adsfreeshows.com. On the debut episode of The False Finish, Chris Harris talks about his successful TNA run as one half of America's Most Wanted, and his not-so-successful run in WWE as Braden Walker. To be honest with you, I wanted out. I mean, it wasn't. I was, I was saying the right things to Johnny, like, hey, I'm going to make this work, but inside I was thinking, I hate this fucking place. Um, it's broken me down. It's, it's made me not love wrestling anymore. Um, I, I mean, I, I, that's kind of went my drinking took a bad turn and um yeah i just i really needed out buff bagwell joined ad free shows members for a live q a talking about his road to recovery and sobriety and recovery from a broken neck we took an angle between me and rick steiner that could have been a unbelievably long angle and they took that and just made it into a one night match down nitro which i lost my debut match back with a broken neck who booked I feel that like that shit? was a bad call. Who, who booked that shit? That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why ads-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adsfreeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.